Hello and welcome to the University of Minnesota Swine Extension podcast series. My name is Sarah Sheik Belke, and I'm a swine extension educator with the University of Minnesota. Joining me today once again is Diane DeWitt, who is also an extension swine educator with the University of Minnesota. Hey there, Sarah. Hello, Diane. And today we're going to be talking about African swine fever. To provide expertise on this topic, we have Dr. Cesar Corzo joining us. He is a veterinarian as well as an associate professor and layman chair in swine health and productivity from the Department of Veterinary Population Medicine at the University of Minnesota's College of Veterinary Medicine. He's also coordinator of University of Minnesota's Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Project, where he monitors the incidence and prevalence of high-impact diseases in U.S. swine herds. And thank you, Caesar, for joining us today. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Dan. Happy to be Hi. here with you today. So like I mentioned, we're going to focus on African swine fever. Just recently, one week ago, which was July 28th, the USDA confirmed African swine fever, also known as ASF for short, in the Dominican Republic. So Caesar, are you able to briefly explain what is African swine fever and why is it so important for pig farmers to be aware of it? That's a good question, Sarah. And uh, I think the, the importance is related to being an infectious disease of pigs. So it's only, we don't infect pigs. That's one thing. Another thing is that it's highly contagious. So it's uh, whenever pigs get exposed to the virus, they'll get infected. But I think the most important thing is that most of the pigs that get infected uh, die. So that makes this disease a disease with a high socioeconomic impact. That means that if this virus, caused by a virus, of course, comes into a country, it will kill a lot of pigs, and then food sources will decrease, and then that will drive a crisis, right? So I think it's, that's the reason why this is one of those diseases that is reportable, uh, that, that's reportable around the globe, right? And that's why a lot of the countries work towards keeping it out and also eliminating it. So uh, that's the reason why it's, it's so important. And it's also considered a foreign animal disease, correct? Exactly. It's considered a foreign animal disease. We know that in North America, all the three countries are free of ASF, just like uh, Central and uh, South America. So is African swine fever of any risk to humans? And what about the pork that comes from infected pigs? Mm -hmm. Is it safe to eat? It's safe to eat. Like, like I said, it's, it's one, is this one virus that only infects pigs. Uh, so that means that all the pork products coming out of those infected pigs are going to be safe for humans to, to consume. So that's not the risk. The risk is the pork products for other pigs, right? That uh, I think we'll get into that uh, in a little bit more, but uh, for humans, it's safe. Uh, so it's not what we call a zoonosis. It's not a zoonosis. So it's that pork is going to be safe. So Caesar, can you tell us a little bit about how ASF was identified in the Dominican Republic and how widespread it is uh, as far as we know right now? Yes, Diane, and I think uh, 
there is a little bit of, uh, of the history of, of this chapter of ASF in the Dominican that we still don't know, the early stages. But what we know so far is that all started, I want to say a few weeks, maybe a few months ago, with uh, a lot of the pig farmers or the small pig farmers reporting uh, a lot of uh, high, high mortality, right, in, in different areas of the, of the island, on the Dominican Republican side of the uh, island. And they started thinking that it was uh, pneumonia, right? Uh, and I think they, they started testing for different diseases and they couldn't figure out what happened. Uh, of course, because the USDA uh, has a cooperative agreement with them, um, they, sent out, they sent out samples to Plum Island and uh, they detected ASF uh, in tissues from uh, pigs from two different provinces. So that was what was announced last week, right? Uh, now today, we know a little bit more and looks like there's been a little bit more testing. Uh, and now they're telling us that uh, they found the virus in a, in a total of 11 provinces more. Now, this shouldn't be surprising because if, we, if the virus went undetected for quite a while, I'm sure it was spreading little by little to other provinces. So this shouldn't be a surprise, right? Once we found one pig farm that it's infected with ASF, the whole nation, the status of the nation just changes automatically. And what can you tell us about the swine population in the Dominican Republic? Is it backyard um, pigs? Is it more of commercial farms like we're used to in the U.S.? Can you share with us a little bit about the structure of their industry? Yes, so I think it's it's a it's a nice industry. It's a developing industry. I had the chance to visit quite a few farms there in my in, during my career. Uh, so I visited those companies that uh, were uh, producing pigs in an intensive manner, so like well organized farms. Uh, but we also we, we could we could also see smaller backyard like uh, farms, right? Now the numbers today they're, they're kind of tricky to 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 get, but we, there's an estimated number that we can say that roughly to between 30 to 40,000 sows are raised under intensive, uh, in, in, uh, intensive production systems. And then roughly between 30 to 40,000 uh, from a backyard small producer uh, perspective, right? So there's quite a lot of pigs being produced in, of course, in those different production systems. And, and I can imagine there's a lot of pig movement, right? So that they can distribute all this, all these pigs throughout the island and all this meat. So is this the first time we've seen African swine fever in the Americas? Unfortunately, it's, it is not, Diana. I think uh, and that's a good point to, to share with, uh, with our listeners in the sense that uh, we know and the history, and there's, there's reports out there that uh, ASF had been diagnosed in uh, in the 70s and in the 80s in the Americas. The good thing is that uh, uh, it was in, in, in few countries, right, in the 70s and 80s. But if, if you look at the history of ASF, I mean, we have to go back to 1921 that it was found in the sub-Saharan countries and, and it started moving to the African continent and then it kind of migrated to Europe and it started moving to, to Europe, right? Now, in 1978 uh, is when we saw the first incursion of ASF into the Dominican Republic and Haiti, right? However, that was not the first one in the Americas. 
because in, in the early in the early 70s there was an incursion or an introduction into to the island of Cuba so that's another area that has been seen uh, where pigs have been infected with ASF but we also had an outbreak in Brazil late 70s so it started with Cuba in 71 and then it was followed by Haiti Dominican Republic and Brazil pretty much in on, on the same year right uh, so that's when we started saying, okay, we had an incursion of this virus into four different countries in the 70s, right? So uh, the, the big question today, which was the big question back then is how did it get introduced, right? And in the past, they say that very likely it was through all that garbage that was brought on the airplanes uh, that was not managed properly, that it just reached uh, pig farms and then that's how those pigs got infected just because those planes came from either Spain or Portugal that they were just going through an outbreak at the time. So um, when they had ASF in Cuba and the Dominican Republic and Haiti and Brazil in the 70s, what was the outcome of that outbreak? And, and yeah, the, the out, usually the outcomes when it comes to ASF, they, they don't tend to be nice in the sense that, that we have no cure there's a vaccine that continues to be developed that I think it has proven uh, to be a good tool in the future. It's not commercially available. Uh, but in, in, in the past, what they decided to do is just because there's no cure and because there's no good ways to control it, contain it, besides biosecurity, at that time, they decided to just uh, euthanize all those pigs just to try to eliminate every reservoir of the virus. So pretty much the island itself of the Dominican Republic and Haiti, all those pigs were just uh, euthanized. Just the same thing happened with Cuba. In Brazil, it was a little bit different. You know, they did it more, uh, a more strategic uh, control and elimination project, right? But uh, it was basically, you need to go and uh, destroy those animals. So knowing that they've had it before, um, and I believe I've also heard that they've had classical swine fever, another foreign animal disease for um, some time. What is being done to keep African swine fever? And then I guess I brought up classical swine fever. What's being done to keep that out of the U.S.? That's a, that's a very fair question, Sarah. And, and I think uh, uh, we're fortunate to have a strong team with the USDA, you know, that uh, they, they're pretty proactive and they want to always establish a communication channel with all these countries. Good thing is that from a policy standpoint, there's no, uh, there, there's no movement of uh, pork or, or pigs from the Dominican to the United States. So I think that's, that's an important thing, right? Um, also, I know that there's uh, some surveillance being done, and I think that's uh, one of the ways that, uh, that the USDA has been able to monitor this situation in the Dominican Republic. But also, I think the best thing that we are being uh, that is being done right now is at the airports, at ports, right? Things like uh, let's let's try to avoid any kind of uh, contaminated pork product from coming into the United States, right? And that is where an example is the Beagle Brigade, right? They are really, really good and active in those airports trying to uh, avoid any smuggling. So you may remember the story, I think it was last year or the year before of uh, they found, I think it was like a, a traveler that was bringing uh, 
pork products from South America. And the Beagle, uh, Beagle was able to sniff that out. And uh, yeah, they kept that uh, pork product from coming into the United States. So, so there's those things that are being done that I'm sure that are helping uh, keep uh, that virus away from the United States. Yeah, that's great. Whenever I see in the news about the Beagle Brigade and, and what they might have sniffed out, it's always reassuring that they're doing their job. They're using their noses to do their job. <laughs> so now another uh, question I have for you, and I'm sure it's on the mind of a lot of pig farmers that we have here in Minnesota, but what can pig farmers do to protect their herds? And maybe it might be good to also briefly talk about the different signs that African swine fever shows up. Yeah, that's part of, uh, of the whole program, right? What can we do? So, so one of the things that it's important uh, to keep in mind is I think we all have to be trained in a way that uh, we need to be really good at detecting what's abnormal, right? I know that every, every producer is good at detecting, okay, these pigs are healthy, these pigs are not healthy. But with, with ASF, it's not sometimes very clear. So you need to look for... Uh, those situations in which you start seeing a lot of piling, right? Those pigs start piling. That means that uh, there might be some high temperature. So no, no wonder why the the fever, the word fever is on, a, on, on the name of the disease. So fever, uh, they, the, the, they'll go off feed, they're gonna be weak and they, they won't uh, want to move. There's uh, some, in some cases, some diarrhea, cough, you know, difficulty breathing. So you're gonna have kind of the whole picture. Now it's important to mention that not necessarily it's gonna be like that, right? But you need to keep in mind that it could be, it could be a variation of these of these signs, and then they can just die, right? Suddenly die. Now, what we have what we have seen and what uh, others have shared is that there's gonna be some changes in this on the skin, right? You're gonna see some uh, red blotchy skin. Uh, some discoloration of what others would call like purple ears or purple legs, you know, hind legs. Um, and that's kind of a, a, a sign, a, a finding that we say, hmm, this is kind of strange. Now, it'll be hard to tease apart between that and uh, maybe a, a purse outbreak in some cases, right? But still, keep those in mind so that you start thinking, hmm, maybe this is worth calling my veterinarian, right? What should I do? What, uh, what samples should we send into the lab? So first, understanding how the disease may present itself, right? Uh, of course, the mortality is going to be a scary one, but also try to put all those clinical signs into context. So I think that's one thing. Keep in mind how the disease, how the disease may show up. Now, the other thing that I think it's important to mention is, uh, as I mentioned before, do not bring any pork products onto your farm, right? We do know that this virus survives really well outside its host. Uh, and when I say really well, is we can talk about a hundred days, a thousand days in, in frozen, in frozen uh, meat. So I think that's important to keep in mind because we tend to forget that. And sometimes we're a little bit complacent in the sense that uh, some of our workers bring in the sausage, you know, the ham. Well, if we can try to avoid that, that'll be better, right? Just so that we decrease that uh, risk. Um, I wanna say that you should try to limit your visits, right? Which is part of any other biosecurity program. Limit, uh, avoid, uh, oh yeah, limit your visits. Uh, if you have some visitors, well, just ask them, where are you coming from? 
if they have been to a, are they coming from a ASF positive country? Well, that's kind of a no-no, right? I don't want to have you uh, share any any time with my pigs, right? I just want to be I just want to be cautious enough so that uh, we don't increase that risk. Um, now, the other one is I want to say if you're bringing in gills, if you're bringing in boars, uh, try to use some some isolation, some quarantine as best as you can. You know, don't bring them directly into into your G barn. Just because you need, you want to make sure that those animals remain uh, healthy. You know they maintain their status. So just bring them into an isolation unit. Have the vet uh, run some tests. Just make sure that they stay healthy, and then bring them in. Right. So I think that's another important one. Um, if you have to have people going or or needing to go into your barns, well, just have them go through uh, the showering shower process. Right. Uh, have them change your boots, have them change their clothes. We don't want to have anything to do with any street clothes or street uh, uh, shoes while we are on our barns, right? So that we can separate those two worlds a little bit better. Um, if you go hunting, you know, if you are one of those that like uh, like to go and uh, hunt the wild boars, well, and if you have, and if you own pigs, maybe that's kind of a risky, also a risky, a risky activity in the sense that you might be, uh, of course, if, if you if you hunt a boar and if you want to go and and, uh, and and want to consume that meat, well, you're going to be quite contaminated if that boar has a specific virus, right? So you want to separate those two uh, activities as well. Um, and the other one that I always like to to tell others is, if you're coming back into the U.S. from a trip to Europe, from a trip to I don't know Asia. Uh, South America, wherever you go, keep in mind that you don't want to bring in pork products into the country, right? Because that's how that's our whole objective. Let's just keep CSF and ASF outside the country. So that's important. Because at the end of the day, the more we tell our friends, the more we tell our producers that this is a no-no, we're going to be able to all together work as a team to protect the U.S. industry. So I think those are good. Oh, one thing that I was forgetting, equipment. I know that a lot of people like to share equipment between farms. If you can try to minimize that, that would be awesome, you know, because equipment, they, it gets contaminated. That's what we call the fomites, you know, inanimate objects that get contaminated with PERS, with PED, same thing with ASF, right? So if we can do, if we can limit that, that would be awesome. That was great. Thank you. And I know you mentioned pork products several times, but just want to get the point across, like no matter the cooking process or even the, the processing that that pork goes through. So for example, sausage, like the curing, African swine fever can survive that. Is that correct? Exactly. And, and, and I think this is why this virus has been able to scare us enough just because if you look at the history of this virus, it has gone, it has consistently gone from one country to another, little by little. Yeah, I know that the wild boars in Europe and in Asia may have helped, but there's some instances in which there's been very long jumps of this virus. The only way that that can happen is through pork products. Just look at uh, the 70s with uh, South America or, or the Caribbean. The only way that those that the virus could have jumped over the Atlantic, it must have been either through a ship 
or through an airplane, right? So uh, that's the reason why uh, we always like to highlight the importance of not moving poor products, right? Just because we can, those can end up in a garbage bin that can go out there to a trash bin. And if we have, uh, I don't know, wild pigs out there, if they eat those scraps, I mean, we're gonna end up having an issue, right? That's the reason why we always try to recommend do not feed any, that real feeding, that's also a risky part of it, right? So I know that most of Minnesota producers, they always, their diets are corn and soybean based. I know that there's some real uh, feeding happening, but I know that they're being, uh, they're working with the, with the Board of Animal Health and, and being careful, right? So that's, that's also important to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. And just another point too is how you brought up about um, hunting wild boar and bringing that meat back. It's the same connection. So for example, wild boar can also get African swine fever. And in the event that they're infected, yeah, that's a way it can be spread through their meat as well. Yes. And, uh, and I think the, the part here is both the meat, but also we know that because the virus is in the blood, once you start processing that carcass, you know how the situation becomes, right? There's blood all over the place. And that one drop of blood, it just contains too many viral particles that it can, it can contaminate any surface. So that's why it's so important to be careful with that. Caesar, I want to thank you for a really good discussion. You didn't call it biosecurity, but when you were talking about fomites and people coming in to farms, you know, we, Sarah and I have been working with biosecurity for a long time, and I know that you're a big proponent of it too. And I just like for you to just sort of bring us home with a a little biosecurity pep talk, just to ease our minds about uh, what we can do here in Minnesota to prevent getting this virus in our pigs. So from the basics, Biosecurity is all those actions that we do to either prevent any pathogen from coming into our farms, right? But also are all those measures that we can do to contain a pathogen, right? So for Minnesota, what we can do is work hard in different areas, right? One of them is, can we work with transport? Hey, let's do not tolerate uh, a dirty truck, you know? I want, if I'm gonna have a trailer, bucking up to my uh, loading run, it's gonna be pristine. It's gonna be nice and clean, right? So that's one important thing. Another one is fomites, right? So we have transport fomites. Like I said, let's try to avoid bringing in any supplies without disinfecting them or without giving them a proper uh, process of disinfection and drying. Um, Animals, of course, like I just said, let's try to bring those onto our farms to a isolation and the quarantine process, right? Just like we ask people to take a shower and just like we do with supplies, we have to do the same thing with uh, with animals, right? They have to go through a process. Um, and then the other one is gonna be people, right? Let's just train them. Let's just make sure that everybody's doing the process that we, that we want them to do. Because sometimes we assume that we're using the disinfectant correctly and sometimes that's not happening, right? So let's just make sure that uh, they're doing that, that, that part as well. And the last one, I think it's going to be uh, one that we've been trying to uh, remind people of the risk, and it's how we manage our mortality, right? 
I've seen a lot of farms in Minnesota that they're using their compost piles very nicely. Others are using rendering. The epidemiological studies that we've been uh, conducting, rendering shows up as one of the main risk factors, right? For introduction of diseases or for association with other pathogens. So those five areas, I think those are gonna be a nice package that if we manage well, if we are consistent, and if we are compliant, we're gonna keep not only ASF out, it's gonna be PERS, it's gonna be PED and other pathogens. So it's, it's, a, it's a nice program that works for all those pathogens. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you, Caesar, for talking to us today about African swine fever. Before we wrap up, um, is there any last comments that you would like to make? No, first of all, thank you for having me. This has been a, this has been a pleasure and I look forward to chatting with you again. And I think my last message is biosecurity has all these different levels, right? It starts with one individual, it goes to the farm team, it goes to the region, and then it goes to the nation, right? So if we do our part and if everybody does their part, we're going to be able to keep the, the status of the United States swine industry as high as, high as, as, as we can so that... Uh, we can continue to export as much meat as we can, right? Yeah, that's a great point. That's right. Well, with that, this wraps up our podcast for today. Thank you to all of you that listen to our University of Minnesota Swine and You podcast. Once again, this has been Sarah Sheik Belke and Diane DeWitt, both swine extension educators, along with Dr. Cesar Corzo veterinarian and associate professor with the College of Veterinary Medicine. To further connect with the University of Minnesota Swine Extension, please visit the swine-specific webpages on the University of Minnesota's Extension website at www.extension.umn.edu backslash swine. And on those pages, you'll find connections to our blog and Facebook page. To learn about research being done by our swine faculty in veterinary medicine, please visit their Swine in Minnesota blog at www.umnswinenews.com.